welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to discuss the crossover between Supergirl, Flash, and Arrow, titled Elseworlds. The final episode of the crossover was also the ninth episode of Supergirl's fourth season. It's also the last episode of Supergirl for the front end of the season. And after this, there's like a month off before we come back. Yeah. So Kara was put in sort of a dilemma in the mid-season finale. And the president had asked her to reveal her civilian identity as Supergirl, basically to reveal Kara Danvers. And Kara refused. And she's in this crossover kind of grappling with that decision. It's almost like she's at a crossroads. So Kara doesn't appear until about halfway through the first episode of the crossover, the Flash episode. We see her on the Kent farm with Clark and with Lois, who is just premiering in this episode. We're seeing her for the first time. We're also seeing the Kent's farm for the first time. Mm -hmm. And you are excited about this because... Yeah, it's the Smallville Kent farm, the set for the Kent farm that they used in the television show Smallville, which I was a big fan of. And in a lot of ways, my love of Smallville is why I'm here now watching Supergirl. didn't you also say they used the theme song too? Yeah, they played the somebody said as as they were cutting to it. And then they shared the shot of Smallville, which is the same visual that we see at the very beginning of the credits of Smallville. So it was like being punched in the face with Smallville. <laughs> Felt like I was watching the intro and then, then we saw Superman and Lois Lane and Carl hanging out. And they're all grown up now. <laughs> yeah, they're not in high school slash college. And so Carl talks to Clark, who just came back from his trip on Argo with Lois and they discuss Kara's decision and Kara kind of wonders if she made the right one regarding revealing her identity. And it was interesting because she brought up the comparison that we made in our last podcast episode mm. of the president confronting Kara over this and Kat confronting Kara over this. Back in season one, she told Kara Danvers to admit that she was Supergirl and she said that Kat was scarier, which kind of affirms that discussion we had about the sort of power dynamics that were in play in that scene in season one because in a lot of ways, it's scarier to be like a 24-year-old assistant being confronted by her boss, a very powerful woman who runs this multimedia empire over your identity, as opposed to the president who has a lot of power, but now Carr is pretty comfortable as Supergirl and is used to dealing with like superior officials and such. Yeah. And the other thing with that conflict where Baker tells her is he actually frames it as relevant to the job that they're doing, mm-hmm. like the vetting process and accountability for her if she wants to be a government agent of any kind. Whereas in the situation with Kat, it had no connection to how she did or didn't do her job. It was just Kat as someone who's been a reporter for so long being like, I want to know this and you should tell me and if you don't, I'll fire you. Like (laughs) That is true. So that was an interesting little insight there. It was nice that they brought that up. Yeah. And something I thought was interesting during their conversation was Clark is kind of having that same conflict that Kara had back in season three about feeling like going to Argo and experiencing that and not being a superhero for some time is a selfish thing. And she says to him, love is the most unselfish thing in the world on any world, which wasn't necessarily like out of character, but it sort of jumped out at me as a thing that felt like a flash writer wrote. 
Because Kara has had this sort of struggle over love being a selfish or unselfish thing. Like we saw with Monel, that was a massive internal conflict that she had. Well, and the way romantic love is frequently depicted in media, it can sometimes be an extremely selfish thing because you focus on it at the exclusion of anyone and everything else. Mm-hmm. And Kara is a character. That's not who Kara is. Yeah, she sacrificed Monel for the sake of the world and would have definitely considered choosing that love over the earth to be a selfish thing. And we also discussed before how she, even with Alex, had chosen the important role of Supergirl, chosen to keep that intact in the season two episode, Alex. So this is a consistent thing with Carr, where if made to choose, she will opt for the greater good as opposed to somebody that she personally loves in her life. And there was one time where it was framed for Kara as a morally good thing to take risks in order to protect people she personally loved. Kat sort of told her that it was important as a human for her to try to save Monel and Lena when they were trapped on the Daxamite ship mm-hmm. before blowing it up and protecting Earth from being invaded. So that was an interesting time where somebody was able to persuade her to choose personal love, but it was framed as a morally important thing for her to try to do. But this is a thing where she'll struggle with feeling like that's a selfish thing. So it was just kind of not as nuanced as I would usually expect the Supergirl show to be in terms of framing this question of love being selfish or unselfish. And this is kind of a question for her right now in terms of protecting the people in her life that she personally loves by keeping her identity as opposed to the president telling her that it's important that she reveals it. But I don't think Carr is personally convinced that that would actually be for the greater good in any kind of way that would make her choose that over the people she personally loves. And so this question of whether or not Kara should stand by her decision about keeping her secret identity follows her throughout the crossover episodes. Interestingly, last season, Alex was in a similar situation where she had made a decision, but in the crossover, she was sort of still grappling with it and dealing with it. So that's interesting. But in the second episode, when Kara has interactions with Batwoman, Kate Kane, Kara has this tendency to when she's faced with like an external problem somebody else is having, she's like, this is relevant to what is happening in my life. So she sees that Bruce Wayne is missing. And she says, do you ever wonder if trying to keep his private life from the public eye just got too much for him and he broke? So we see that she's still having that issue of like, yeah, it's in her mind, like trying to decide what to do. And that's kind of all we see for it in the second episode, except for the fact that identity itself comes into play Mm. with Kate Kane and Batwoman and how they, at the end of the episode, know who each other really is. Yeah, well, the cool thing about that is that Carr's really the only one she talks to. (laughs) Also true. But we'll talk about that later. Yes. And then in the third and final episode, the Supergirl episode, Kara interacts with this alternate version of Alex and also this sort of imposter Superman. And when she sees Alex and recognizes her while this Deegan character is there, she doesn't say anything to Alex or or signify that she knows her until Alex starts to walk away, which I thought was interesting. Mm. When Deegan sees that she knows who Alex is, he threatens to kill her if Kara tries to escape. So that concept of there being very real consequences for the people in Kara's life if someone connects the dots that Supergirl knows them. Yes. Yeah. Is being heavily reinforced throughout this part of the crossover. Mm -hmm. And then later on in the episode, we see her again sort of deny that she knows Alex at all. Well, not just that. She tries to take 
total responsibility for everything that happened, which she also did in the season one flashback when they went flying together, which she mentions in this episode. Ooh, nice catch. So the final episode of the crossover was a Supergirl episode. And so we did see these two Supergirl characters, Alex and Kara, interact. And that's interesting in terms of the relationships that we see in these crossovers. You mean in terms of like which characters get brought in and the relationship dynamics of those characters and in terms of what's relevant to the story? Well, yeah, in terms of Barry has Iris, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the most important relationship that we see in the crossover, and Oliver has Felicity, and that's very important. Clark, we also see, is dealing with some stuff regarding Lois. And then the character that Cara interacts with the most from her own television show is Alex, which I'm always happy to see, like, familial relationships just shown to be as important as romantic relationships. So having Cara and Alex be the heart of Supergirl in these crossovers is nice to see yeah so and i like car as a character in the same way that like kind of batman is where the love interest is never quite as important as like the family part no well i thought that is a good point because he he has alfred (laughs) Alfred. is clearly the most important (laughs) yes but like any romantic interest is never going to be as important as supergirl being supergirl and batman being batman and i like that in a character like supergirl who is like very feminine and girly but also very strong so that's one of the things i like about her yes you said that last time i like it a lot And it was interesting having this contrast of the important familial relationship between Alex and Kara versus the many romantic relationships. Because this situation of Alex in an alternate universe who doesn't have a sisterhood with Kara reminds me of in Smallville when Clark went to another Earth and it was the Earth where Superman was raised by the Luthers. And in it, Superman was a villain and Lois hated him because she was not a villain. And Clark saw her and it always stuck out to me over the years as a really like potent scene where he says I can't live in a world where you don't love me and in this episode we see Alex affirm that she is Kara's sister even in this universe even though she doesn't even know her so it's nice to compare the very important iconic Lois and Clark romantic relationship with the just as important sisterly relationship with Alex and Kara. So in what was technically the Supergirl episode we did get a few scenes with Kara and Alex which gave us a little bit of new insight into Alex's background before they adopted Kara. Which is not something we've really heard much of before. No, we really don't get that many episodes or opportunities where they're at like a family gathering or anything and somebody's saying like, oh, remember that time when you did this? We haven't seen even like photos of Alex as a little kid since probably season one. (laughs) There were a bunch in the background of the set when she was trying to hide out at uh, Eliza's house in the finale. So that was really neat to see. And also Kara reaffirming that Alex's personal goals of finding someone to love and having a family are still very much present and in her mind. And probably we will see more of that Mm -hmm. going into the back part of the season. At least I hope we will as a little (laughs) bit of levity in the middle of all of the uh, politics (laughs) stuff. That would be nice. (laughs) It would be nice. It would also be a way for Kara to sort of have something nice to focus on. (laughs) 
<laughs> also that, but have her interact with Alex and talk about that while we have this sort of rift of Supergirl and the DEO. Mm, yeah, that's true too. So that was really nice. It was a little bit unfortunate that it was almost entirely exposition. It was a lot of people like info dumping mm-hmm. scenes. Well, this is what happens when you shove one character in a jail cell. <laughs> yeah. So on the one hand, it was really nice because we did have that time carved out with scenes of just the two of them and there weren't too many of the other hero characters like the other big hero characters really didn't get as much of that Mm. like i think barry got one or two scenes with iris but like there weren't really that many with oliver and then clark had a few with lois but i think alex and Kara got a decent chunk of stuff where you got to learn a little bit more about their dynamic which apparently is strong enough that even an alex who's never met (laughs) Kara is immediately like i have adopted you (laughs) (laughs) you are my sister now that yeah i liked that a lot yeah so did i but and the other thing about it that was cool is that it was very much a role reversal of what we saw in episode 113 the one with the black mercy where Mm. Kara was in this fantasy scenario where her family connection to alex never existed and alex had to like convince her that it was real yeah and this time we had Kara doing it and Kara does persuasive speeches way more regularly than alex Uh, (laughs) she's got practice she did a good job although less tears There was a lot less crying. There was less screaming. Mm -hmm. No one got clubbed over the head, although Alex Mm. did zap Kara with that sound thing. Yeah, she did. Classic Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Look, she's got to equal the playing field somehow. That's just like what she said to Lena at Thanksgiving. Technology is the equalizer. Mm Mm-hmm. Which was funny because that sort of situation is something we've seen with Alex and other prisoners on our Earth, especially in season two. Look, that protective streak clearly runs real deep. (laughs) Yeah. Although it was interesting that this sort of established trait that we see in Alex across both of these Alexes was now turned against somebody that the other Alex very much loves. So, And we see a few traits in this episode with this alternate Alex that are consistent with our Alex. The Alex that we all know and love. (laughs) We see that she's a badass in both. Well, the badass thing was also really cute because in the, um, the season one crossover episode, World's Finest, when Barry came to Kara's Earth, he was so disappointed that he didn't get to meet Alex. Hmm. And obviously, like, Kara mentions her a lot because she and Barry talked about Alex a little bit in last season's crossover. So it was really funny that he was the only one other than Kara who got to interact with her. <laughs> and it was just yeah. to reaffirm that, like, he understands that she's awesome. Like, <laughs> yes. Barry's a good egg. He is. I would like him to come and visit Kara some other time. <laughs> we have had two crossovers where it was just those two. We have, but... <laughs> you want more? I would like another. <laughs> Iris can come too. Yeah. I would just like to see Joe and Jean having, like, a dad scene. <laughs> just just dad out. <laughs> just go dad to the max. <laughs> Ten minutes of dad jokes with all of the youth progressively getting like, ah, stop. It was interesting, though, to see Alex still being such a workaholic Mm. and so kind of closed off with her personal life and her feelings, even though presumably her family dynamic was very different because, A, her dad didn't die, and B, there was no Kara creating any sense of, like, sibling rivalry and feeling of not being good enough Mm. in the same way. But we talked about this, I think, in the Danvers Sisters podcast because we actually got a question specifically, like, what do you think Alex would have been like without Kara? And I think the answer was pretty close to this. 
this, actually. (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we talked a lot about how Alex and Eliza played this role of grounding Kara and connecting her to humanity and to having relationships as opposed to running off and becoming Supergirl and just focusing on that. Now we see sort of demonstrated here that Kara plays a similar role for Alex in connecting her to having a life with people and relationships as opposed to just focusing on, you know, saving the world. Well, the other part of it too is I think also just inspires her to be more courageous Mm, in some ways. Like a lot of what was holding her back was that she's afraid of stuff. And Kara seemingly fears nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And also we've talked a lot about how growing up with Kara has shaped Alex to be very much not afraid of things that she (laughs) maybe should be. But Yes, (laughs) exactly. But that connection between the sisters helping balance both of them in the same way is also true in their relationship with Jean and how they help him connect to people and have those relationships. So it's nice to see the trio serve that role for each other and have that connection. It was. It was pretty great. Oh, they are uh, stronger together. They really are. Because I, I wonder if at some point we'll get a scene of like what Jean's life would be like if he had never met the Danvers family. Because oh. now we've I'd seen what Kara and Alex's lives would have kind of turned out as. You know what would also be interesting? Kara and Alex without Jean because mm. yeah, he's played like a lot of... He was playing like fairy godfather for a long time before either <laughs> yeah. of them met him in person. And then he picked up Alex when she was at that low point mm-hmm. and then introduced Kara to the DEO so their lives would be really different. Yeah. Ooh, that, that would be a fun premise. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For anyone who is interested in that thought experiment. <laughs> so this episode was really nice for Alex's character and her characterization and, and kind of examining who she is at her core, mm. what elements affected her and shaped her to who she is. Well, especially since she hadn't been a heavy presence in the last couple episodes of Supergirl prior to their crossover. Mm. So yeah. it was it was nice to have a little bit more focus on that here. And then we got a little bit of backstory story for Alex in Kara's chunk of exposition. Kind of trying to prove that she really does know Alex. Yes. So she kind of reached further back to before Kara appeared for something that would presumably be the same for this Alex. Well, not only that, something that was very private and very personal. Yes, also true. So Kara relays this story that apparently Alex told her shortly after she moved in with the family about a time when Alex, like Kara, was very homesick and in a place that was very, very far away. And we find out that when Alex was little, her family spent several months in Japan. And what Alex taught Kara was this little expression called yubikiri, which is essentially like pinky swear. Mm-hmm. But Cycles, you had looked up what the translation of like the whole long thing that she said was. And you want to tell everyone? <laughs> Finger cut off, 10,000 fist punchings. Whoever lies has to swallow thousand needles. Which is um, a very Alex-like... <laughs> threat (laughs) (laughs) i was like that's totally something like seven-year-old alex totally that's something that would resonate for her this makes sense and them talking about it in you know present time it was incredibly cute and like thank you swear it was and like a sweet moment and then there's this like deadly backstory (laughs) for the phrase which kind of makes sense in terms of we have a lot of like nursery rhymes or phrases i said it also the full thing kind of reminded me of like cross my heart and hope to die stick a needle in my eye Mm -hmm. same idea which is graphic yeah basically if you tell anyone you're dead (laughs) (laughs) which was kind of a big theme in their childhood (laughs) i mean car secret it sure was (laughs) 
And then in terms of other little bits and pieces of context that we got, the other thing that we saw was that, again, going back to the idea that Kara gives Alex kind of a strength and a confidence that maybe she doesn't always have without her. Mm-hmm. We saw that this Alex, again, was stuck and, and hadn't come out to like her family or anyone, apparently, because mm-hmm. um, Kara overhears the exchange between Killer Frost and Alex about Alex having no life, which, to go back to season one, was what Kara said while she was under Red Crypt night to alex mm. and also apparently alex dated win briefly some dweeb in it which was amusing given their relationship in supergirl <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's a very different dynamic yeah they're very they're very like siblings in mm-hmm. the actual world of the show and basically our other ultimate takeaway from watching the Kara and alex dynamic but also having watched Barry and Oliver deal with switching lives was like a Kara and Alex body swap would be hilarious. Mm-hmm. We've mentioned it on the podcast before and we're saying it again. Because <laughs> we really like it. Because it's important. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do a proper body swap this time. You got to do it the right way with two actresses who would be really good at imitating each other. Yes, their mannerisms. Oh my God. It'd be hilarious. Yeah. And they're, they're both good at comedy too. So Yeah. Like, and I know Kyler, she played a somewhat similar person personality and Grey's Anatomy to Kara. Mm. So I know that she can play it. I'm sure Melissa can as well. So well, the other thing that was fun when we were talking about like things you could do with that trope would be if you were trying to like subvert it a little bit because it's always like two people are feuding and they need to learn a lesson about like how to be nice to each other or something <laughs> and have it be like that's not the actual conflict and then they switch bodies and they get mischievous and decide to like run off and see all the things that they can do as each other. Like, <laughs> And then as a united front, like, team up and yes. start messing with people. Uh, <laughs> could you imagine Alex as Kara at CatCo just messing with James and Lena? <laughs> or Kara, like, commanding all the troops of the DEO? Oh, my God. Right? I need it, this immediately. It'd be amazing. I don't think either of them would be bad at... At imitating the other? No, in terms of... I don't think they'd be bad at the skills that each other... Had. Oh, no. For the most part. Although, in terms of content knowledge... Also true. I would love to see uh, Alex as Kara interacting with Lena during one of her, like, more questionable times <laughs> in her life. Because <laughs> Kara lets Lena get away with a lot, I think. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, Kara has really vocal opinions. <laughs> Which, you know, Kara about other things definitely does. But when it comes to like Kara herself. Well, but it would be actually really fascinating in the sense that Kara keeps really quiet about her opinions on the alien stuff in front of Lena and James, actually. Mm. I don't think Alex would. No. Well, Kara, when she didn't know Lena as well, she was very vocal about it, like in well, season yeah. two. I think it's it's one of the situations where like you've known the person for a long time and things are like escalating politically. And- well, it's like, do you want to ruin your whole friendship or? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yes. And Alex may opt for uh, ruining the friendship. Whoops. Uh- <laughs> Alex would be like, Kara, no. <laughs> and then on the flip side, Kara, as Alex like going out on a blind date. <laughs> Or not even a blind date, a repeat date, and being like, Alex, this person is terrible for you. Why did you agree to do this again? <laughs> that would also be good. A twid. And also just John interacting with both of them while all of this is taking place would be fantastic. 
Yes. So in terms of Supergirl storylines, we got some insight into Alex and we saw a lot more of Clark in this episode. Yes. And this is the first time we've seen Clark since the end of season two. So that was exciting. Yeah. And we finally got the reveal of Lois, which is somebody I've been waiting for my whole life. (laughs) So this crossover saw a lot of Superman related things, some nods to the Superman mythos. Obviously, we talked about the Smallville references. And we also got to see that sort of same visual that we see in the Superman movie. In the Superman movie, Superman flies around the Earth and turns back time. Mm -hmm. And we see this sort of far away shot of the earth and like a line moving around it basically and we got that visual with car and with barry mm-hmm. and that's something i have wanted to see for a while and was slightly disappointed that we didn't get that visual when car herself went back in time at the end of season three so i'm happy they included it here although i kind of wanted it to just be Kara, but <laughs> and we also saw the fortress obviously yep we saw lots of things that were references to either the superman movies or the comics From the All-Star Superman comic, we saw the solar hammer, which does something. (laughs) Apparently, it makes little balls of sun that you can feed to a space creature. (laughs) I need that. According to the panels of the comic that I am staring at right now as we're doing this. And we also saw Clark take a piece of coal and squeeze it into a diamond, which has happened in a few iterations of Superman. That was actually really cute. Yes. All of Lois and Clark's interactions, this crossover, were a lot of fun. And they had a nice chemistry and some fun scenes. And they really felt to me like Lois and Clark. Yeah, they did a nice job with the writing of it. But then the actors also sold it. Like, honestly, Tyler Hoechlin did a fantastic job throughout this episode with all the different things they had him do. So the first time we really got to see him act for more than like 10 or 15 minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was pretty great. Yeah, it was nice. And Betsy Tolock did a great job as Lois. It just felt really organic to me. So I didn't think a lot about how they're playing Lois and Clark. You know, sometimes... Yeah, I get what you mean, though. It felt very natural. And also the way they fit with Kara worked really nicely, too. Yeah, they had a nice dynamic. And Lois and Kara got to talk a little bit. We got a glimpse of them sort of bonding over journalism, which is definitely something I was hoping for. I guess it wouldn't make sense for me to expect too much discussion of journalism in a crossover episode, which is very much about spectacle. But we did have them have that conversation where they bonded over that feeling of being compelled to write a story. And we saw at the end of the episode that Lois was reading one of Carr's articles and said that the world might be just fine with Carr Danvers, which is interesting to hear going into the next half of the season of Supergirl because the teaser had maybe indicated that Supergirl's role could be threatened. So an interesting sentiment that Cara Danvers as a reporter is hero enough. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that was kind of neat in those few brief scenes we had of Lois and Kara interacting was they can kind of also serve as a counterpoint to Lena's relationship with Mercy Graves a little bit. Hmm. Interesting. Because we definitely got enough context to get the sense that, like, Lois has given Kara various advice throughout her life to this point and has been a presence in her life to this point. Yeah, that is interesting, especially in terms of, like, the roles sort of match up because we have Car and Lena and then their two relatives, Clark and Lex, and then the people associated with them. I think, was Mercy romantically involved with Lex? I think so. I think Lena alluded to that, yeah. So then we have the sort of romantic connection between Mercy and Lex and Lois and Clark, and then Mercy and Lois connecting back to those two characters of Kara and Lena. Hmm. So it's kind of mirror images of each other. Yeah. 
I wouldn't be surprised if we see Clark again at some point, knowing that Lex is coming. Ah, true. Especially because all of these characters are part of the Elseworlds Red Sun story. Although, with Clark going to Argo, they might play upon the fact that Superman isn't there while Lex is now apparently somehow involved. It'd be hard for him to interact just from prison, so perhaps he escapes or something. And the fact that Superman's not around during this time might be something interesting for them to play on. Well, maybe the shift in public opinion means he can get some kind of deal because he's definitely an Earth firster. Mm, yeah. And in terms of Clark, you had an observation about his character and a similarity to Kara. I did. I laughed because Clark has such a sassy, kind of sarcastic way about him when he deals with bad guys. And Kara is very similar when she <laughs> lets herself be. Mm. And it was just deeply entertaining. Yeah. Like when they come through the breach and he takes his first look at Deegan, he's like, nice suit, like really <laughs> passive aggressive, like kind of snarky. But he says it in like the... Oh, but like cheerfully. You're like, that's a kind man being sassy. <laughs> he's kind of more like, nice suit. Yeah, but his face he's like... He's like beaming, but he's definitely being like, I come not in peace. <laughs> Now that we talked about all the fun parts of the crossover, (laughs) it's time to shift our focus a little bit. And I'd like you all to know that in this portion of our notes, Cycles drew her own version of the You Tried star. (laughs) It's a perfect star. I did a great job. It's a perfect star for the meme. (laughs) Which accurately encapsulates some of our feelings and our kind of more frustrations with parts of the crossover and the Supergirl episode in particular. Mm. Some of you know, and we actually got an anonymous request asking if I could possibly talk about some of the research that I do related to production and fandom studies kind of stuff for the show. Mm. And one of the things that was very striking about looking at the crossover in terms of who was making the decisions behind the scenes was that out of all the writers and directors, which was a total of 10 people, there was only one woman involved. Mm. And the other thing that was very striking was that the person who came up with the overall plan for the story of the Supergirl episode doesn't work in the Supergirl writer's room. And you could kind of tell. Yeah. So we had someone who created the story and that we had people who wrote the teleplay. Based on those suggestions. Yes. So we had two writers who do write for Supergirl penning it and then somebody who doesn't work with the Supergirl team creating that story for that episode. Well, and it's interesting because it's the same person was involved in the Arrow portion, which was part two of the crossover. And I mentioned to you, there's a scene in the second part of the crossover where Kara and Barry and Oliver, I think, get attacked or something and knocked over. And I was fully expecting Kara to check that everybody was okay because she always does. And it just didn't happen. Mm. So there were definitely also just some noticeably like slightly off characterization things as well. Yeah. Also, Kara as like lighter scenes in the Arrow episode were off. Yeah, they were well delivered, but slightly off. And I think maybe they would have worked better for, you know, not Supergirl. <laughs> it was just a little bit mismatched. To her personality. It didn't quite fit. Yeah. When Carr was meeting Kate and was asking for her name, and because Kate had said something about raining on their parade, Carr was like, what should we call you? Rain? 
Miss Parade. And I'm like, you tried. You tried for that lighter element. Yeah. Well, and the other part about it, too, is like, I don't think Kara would be all that fussed by that because, like, she has Alex and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who, as we'll recall, Jean described as unrelentingly serious. She and Kate Kane would probably be friends. Um, <laughs> yes. And also Oliver is like that. And Kara usually doesn't give him a hard time either. So, no. And it almost felt like the, the writing was trying too hard to mm-hmm. get Kate to like her, if that makes sense. Like, if I read it on a piece of paper, I would have been like, well, Kara really wants her to like her. And like, just in a way that isn't really natural for who Kara is. Yeah. And it's also very telling that the only time that we had any really more than one meaningful scene between two female characters was in the Supergirl hour. The other thing, like, I only watch Supergirl. I don't watch the other shows. And so as a fan of Supergirl, watching this crossover was very frustrating Hmm. because Kara didn't get a lot to do. And from a narrative standpoint, I get why. Although... (laughs) Kind of. Although later on I will have... Yeah, you have... Something to say about that. Issues with that as well. But really, Kara serves a very stereotypically delegated feminine role in the front part of the crossover of kind of like keeping Barry and Oliver on task and like protecting them from their own stupidity. Yeah. I know what they were trying to go for and missed, (laughs) which was like Kara's the one who's competent and Mm -hmm. like is able to think about the mission, you know, and keep things in perspective while these two guys are having like their like emotional journeys. But well, there's the problem. It left out the emotional journey. Yeah. Yeah. Kara had no real emotional journey during the action part of the like once she left the Kent farm, Kara had no emotions really for like most of the rest (laughs) of the crossover. And the other thing that was a problem too was especially where it related to Kara. We ran into that problem that you used to see in a lot of strong female character media from like the late 90s and the early 2000s where it was a lot of telling us that car is really great and really awesome but not a lot of showing us yep yeah. Like, the one thing that's really great, Barry is clearly one of Kara's biggest fans. Yes. And I really love it. Like, he's so excited every time he sees Kara and they're such great buddies because their characters complement each other really well. Mm-hmm. And in terms of telling, we see with the Superman and, and Supergirl interaction, which was like this element of their relationship where Superman talks about how strong Kara is, was nice at first. But I think it just crossed the line of like... Too much? Like, we get it. Well, the only thing I will say there is that fewer people watch Supergirl compared to, say, Flash. So you have a lot of people who haven't seen all of those episodes to have that context. So I get sort of why they kind of overdid it. I mean, these shows always have the problem of, like, beating a dead horse when it comes to making a point. (laughs) Yeah. But even in the episode, it's like we have Clark say that she's so much stronger than him. Cisco makes a point of choosing Kara as his favorite Kryptonian. And then as is right and good. (laughs) And then Brainy like backs it up and I'm like, Clark's right there. <laughs> like I feel like Clark doesn't feel bad about it. That's the point. No, he doesn't, which is character true, but it's also like it's just so excessive and this was not a problem for me and ever before. Well, it's kind of almost like they're apologizing for the fact that Kara was either like in a jail cell or <laughs> doing nothing for three quarters of the show. Well, that's the thing. We're getting all this like lip service to how great and powerful and competent Kara is. And then she's not in most of the action. Like she doesn't make any mistakes or do anything wrong. But for one, that's kind of where the interesting parts are of a story. And for the other, we don't really get to see her. She doesn't really move the plot all that much. 
Which is frustrating because she's supposed to be like the third big lead of this crossover and she really didn't get treated like an equal third lead of the crossover. And actually a lot of comments and reviews have noticed that as well, like AV Club and a couple other ones. Mm. And a lot of people were frustrated by that. Yeah, because we had Oliver and Barry switch bodies and then have all these conversations with each other, like trying to learn from each other, essentially. And then we had Kara was also there. (laughs) And she said some things and was like, yeah, learn from each other. She was a supporting, she's like a third wheel. Yeah, she was like a supporting character in a story where she really shouldn't have been. Yeah. And I mean, there's the concept that Kara doesn't have as much of an established relationship with Oliver, but this is one of the chances to do that you know, to develop yeah. a dynamic. That's a good point. And I think that's one of the other reasons that watching this show is frustrating if you're a fan of Supergirl who doesn't watch the other shows because the crossovers never mean anything for the context of Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Last year's like almost did. <laughs> but, and and this is why like people are sort of getting excited about the, the premise of next year's. And I was like, I'm not every single year that they've done one the characters in the show that I like kind of get shafted for everything else. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to combine everything and then blend it together. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh, well, one of the reasons I was excited for this year was because, you know, Cara and Batwoman. Mm-hmm. And we got some interaction, but... And Batwoman was only in it for like five minutes. And it's also not on Cara's Earth, which I was hoping Again. for. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Cara didn't have a storyline that went throughout the three episodes that was contained within the crossover the way that Barry and Oliver did. No. And from a writing standpoint, that's a problem because for a character who's in all three legs of the crossover, she should have had an overarching objective that went from point A in the first episode to the end of the final episode and nothing changed for her, really. Yeah. And there was no clear objective. She was just kind of there. Mm-hmm. And like a quick example of a situation where Kara could have been utilized more was that action scene in the Arrow episode within the Arkham Asylum when we had mm. like all of these people spread out causing havoc. We had Killer Frost versus Nora Fries, who is Mr. Freeze's wife. We had Oliver super speeding people back into their cells, Barry fighting people as the Green Arrow. And then we had Kara the whole time just flying around and looking for somebody. And then at the end, she got the book that she turned it back. Like she wasn't involved in any of the interesting action. And in the middle, we had that big conflict between where um, Barry and Oliver fought each other. Yeah. And we're seeing their opposite worst fears. And all the other characters like were kind of involved. Like Killer Frost was there. Batwoman came in and split them up, uh, which makes sense to have her be the one to split them up there. But that, I feel like that could have been a three-way fight scene where it would affect Kara too. I don't know. I have watched these other shows before. And I like the characters well enough, but the whole time it was really noticeable that they weren't using Kara. Just weren't using her. <laughs> yeah. Well, and related to that, we got to see the teams for Flash and Arrow have whole scenes together Mm. with dialogue and contribute to the plot. And then we got to the Supergirl episode and the other characters from Supergirl were kind of just treated like Easter eggs. They weren't even given anything in particular to do. Jean and James were only there for like two seconds. Brainy was there for about the same amount of time. The female characters weren't even there at all other than Alex. Yeah. 
it was a cool visual, but that's pretty much all it was because we had the Martian Manhunter, we had Brainiac 5, and we had Superman, Supergirl, like all those people together was like a cool moment that is reminiscent of the comics in which they're all kind of intertwined. But then there wasn't any depth outside of that. Although I did notice in a, a very quick moment with Jean, he tells Superman to take down fake Superman mm-hmm. while he is going to go protect the people. And it was interesting because he shielded someone from fire, which we know is something that John in the past has had a trigger reaction from mm. because of the way that his people were killed. That's also something that he has over the seasons kind of faced and, and become more at peace with, especially after finding Marin again and having that whole storyline, which brought him to the place where he is now, which is that he's like a pacifist. It's interesting that he chooses not to fight and he chooses to go and protect people. And what I found to be neat was the sort of contrast of when in The Man of Steel episode, we had the flashback of Sean saving Lockwood's family from the Daxamite and then saying, you're safe now, and then leaving. And their house bursts into flames and they are not actually safe. No. And it's sort of interesting because we saw him there prioritize like beating up the bad guys and then he didn't really stick around long enough to make sure that they were safe and the fire broke out and he didn't know about it to, to be able to help them. Whereas we see now he chooses to protect as opposed to fight um, and ends up protecting people from fire specifically. So. so that was cool in that we were able to get a little bit of insight there, even though it was a very, very brief cameo. Very brief, but and it was cool to see that. But one other thing that was a little frustrating was that this is the first time we've had Clark back on the show since season two. And he didn't get to spend any meaningful time with any of the other characters from Supergirl's world, despite the fact that he has longstanding relationships with several of them. Like, we still haven't actually had a scene on screen of Clark and James at all. And James was only in this episode very briefly to kind of be like, I'm the anti-pal of Superman. <laughs> and like, Jean and Clark Clark had had some kind of unresolved issues about storing certain kinds of weapons and violence. And it would have been nice to have actually gotten (laughs) Clark in an episode that was focused on the story happening within Supergirl itself. Maybe we will at some point later in the season. Maybe. It's especially sad because Clark had like a lot to do. Yeah. Especially in comparison to like Kara narratively. Well, I get the symbolism of why he was the one who was able to change the book and Kara couldn't do it. It was because in the book, Kara was going to die. Mm. So I guess she wasn't able to change it. And Barry was the only other one there. And he was supposed to go. She was also like physically weak. And- yeah. But again, why was she the only one who had to be physically weakened? Yeah, because we had Superman here doing things. It's often in a storyline difficult when you have a really powerful character interacting with less powerful characters and and trying to make them all have an equal amount to contribute. And have like stakes. Yes, and stakes. (laughs) So in the past, they've opted to take Supergirl out in some way, like last crossover. Yeah, last crossover, she was strapped down in a medical table by her doppelganger. Mm-hmm. and removed from the action for, like, at least two parts of the four. Yeah. I think part of the problem, too, with her having nothing to do is that they were dragging the plot out to fill all the episodes, and there just wasn't enough, or someone just wasn't creative enough about it to figure out, like, what can she do that's still meaningful without it overpowering everybody else? Well, that's the thing, is that we have Superman involved in all these things and powered up, but yeah, they were able to find something for him to do. Well, we also have to keep in mind, though, some of the reason that they brought in Superman was to give the lead actors in the other shows less of a burden of having to simultaneously film like four episodes of TV. Yeah. 
So like from a scheduling perspective, I get it, especially because stunts are much more time consuming than not stunts. Um, (laughs) But there was definitely so tracking like speaking time in episodes to look for disparities of gender is something I've done for most of the series. Haven't caught up yet on season four. But last year it was way, way in favor of men. There were twice as many men as women in the crossover. And the Supergirl episode was the only one that managed to keep the balance of who was talking and moving the story close to 50 50 Hmm. and this crossover suffered from that same problem essentially was that no one was thinking about that Mm -hmm. yep in the arrow episode she was just kind of stuck like flying around for most of the action and searching for something Mm. which made sense in terms of like trying to make car competent and like she's doing the actually important thing which is getting the book but it did give her a story again and in the supergirl episode she was at the beginning trapped in a cell during all the action we had a lot of barry and oliver scenes where they had like character stuff well to be fair though the scene of her trapped in the cell was kind of meant to contrast barry and oliver getting locked up in the first episode sure But then we also later on in the episode had her just flying around the earth. Yes. I was like, which is really low maintenance in terms of special effects and need for space because you just do that in the studio. Uh, And then Superman was doing all the things. Yeah. While Clark was busy doing all the cool stuff and double cool stuff because it was him playing himself and the evil guy as Superman. Yeah. We could have just had, you know, Kara fighting Superman. Maybe they were doing that to prepare us for double Kara's. I mean, we've had double Kara's multiple times before, but... We've had Bizarra, we've had Overgirl. So, last year was two Kara's, this year was two Clark's. <laughs> two Kryptonian, two Furious. <laughs> They're always like, okay, we need another Kryptonian. <laughs> we need another Kryptonian to keep this Kryptonian busy because there's nothing else that can work. <laughs> Cancel each other out. See, now that's where, like, why couldn't they have come up with, like, an Earth-1 version of Jean for Kara to fight or yeah. something? Like... Yeah, that would have That have been really interesting. And Jean as a character, the Martian Manhunter is a big comics character, so it's not like that would be, who is this guy? <laughs> exactly. That's why they had him show up in the first place. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate, though, that they give Alex as much space as they do, considering she's an original character that is not from the comics. Also true. And in terms of things that... Blessings. <laughs> uh, in terms of things that I did enjoy... Because we here at Supergirl's Attic are hopeful, like Kara. <laughs> I liked how like we talked about how car playing the role with barry and oliver like wasn't enough for her character to do Mm. but it was interesting how when barry and oliver have switched places and are trying to do things the way the other would do it Mm -hmm. and they deal with the mugging that way yeah car says you were not going to talk your way out of getting mugged and you escalated the situation way too fast which is kind of a nice summary of what's happening on earth 38 right now (laughs) because we have the two extremes of maybe like james in the beginning trying to like, talk to trying to wait and talk to people yes sort of convince people who were not going to be convinced versus you know manchester who is definitely escalating things oh that reminds me of another thing i wanted to mention about the crossover in terms of the storytelling choices one thing that's really unfortunate with the crossovers is that when you focus on just the leads of the shows the casting diversity takes a sharp nosedive mm. And this one especially suffered from that. You had at least half a dozen principal characters, all of whom were white. I think the only person of color who contributed anything of actual value was Cisco. Mm. And pretty much everyone else was like background window dressing other than, oh, I take that back. Iris also did because she was the one who convinced everyone else to let Barry and Oliver go. Yes. But outside of that, and those were both people from Team Flash. Mm. 
nobody else really was present for more than a few minutes and got to contribute anything significant to the story. So on that sense, it's a little bit questionable when you have the person who's the executive producer making all the decisions and saying, we're going to tell a story that the fans are really going to love. It's like, okay, which fans? (laughs) Because you're not including everyone. Yeah. It's very much saturated with comic booky things which are fun but ultimately like substanceless yeah well i said that to you earlier when we were working on our notes my frustration less so with this one because they did try to pare it down and do a little bit more of a character driven story than they have in the past and it was moderately successful like this this crossover was on the whole kind of cohesive and entertaining Mm -hmm. but i've had this frustration with last year's as well it's just whoever's deciding on the story is is kind of focusing on like what cool things can i do with my actors who are like my personal action figures and i can be like a little kid playing with all my toys and make them do stuff mm-hmm. and there's no sense of broader vision of like can i tell a meaningful story that mm-hmm. can go beyond just being like fun entertainment for a couple of hours and especially with last season's i was very frustrated that they didn't have the vision to take it to that level yeah. given the subject matter that they tried to deal with. Mm-hmm. That was a very big flaw to the EarthX story. And that's another concern that I have. If you're going to do, you know, the crisis story for next year, like, you better do it well. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, like, yeah, okay, it's cool. But if you're not saying anything meaningful, what's the point mm-hmm. is really the bigger issue. Something we talk a lot about with Supergirl in general, because they very much this season are trying to say something significant. Yeah, which is also part of why I'm like, I don't really want them to merge with the other <laughs> Shows. Like, totally, they're really not similar. Logistically, really. would be story writing hell. As yeah. a writer, like, I, the concept of having to. To integrate, like, all that extra, like, seven seasons of canon for. Yeah other shows is like why and like if i want to blow up the supergirl world and then have them move to argo like i want to be able to do that (laughs) you know oh my god maybe they can do that maybe (laughs) kara and her whole space fam can fly away in a pod and live on argo (laughs) it's gotten too bad here (laughs) (laughs) it's like the people here who are convinced that when we destroy earth and the environment we'll just go colonize the moon like (laughs) you know it's fine the moon will save us it's like they try to say something in terms of feminism, but they're like we talked about, they only say All they things. did was say it. Yeah. Which is why we had that situation where Carr is the mediator between Barry and Oliver. But it is still nice for Carr as a character, like apart from these crossovers, to have that quality where, you know, she doesn't meet a hero and then decides she wants to fight them. Yeah, that was nice. In like crossovers and comics, that's kind of a historical way they would go about it. It's like sort of contriving some reason for them to fight or like there to be some misunderstanding. If they just talk to each other, they wouldn't be killing each other. And Kara likes to talk, so. Yeah, she does, which is something that Lois said in the episode that apparently she's more likely as a woman to. Oh, yeah, that was a. See, but that came in the Supergirl episode. Yeah. Because those writers are nerds. They sure are. Who read good stuff about the <laughs> <Damn> world. stats. <laughs> <laughs> they care about things. Amazing. <laughs> but that's always nice to see with Kara. That concept was also present in Kara's interaction with Batwoman, with Kate. Like, we see that she meets Kate and she immediately is like, she's cool <laughs> and wants to be her friend. And I talked about how, like, she's trying a little bit too hard in terms of the writing because it felt like the writing was... Yeah, not quite Kara. Yeah. But the urge to be more friendly with somebody who you respect is consistent with Kara's character. I mean, the first crossover that she had with The Flash... The one that was in Super girl episode 118 
Queen. Yes. World's Finest. World's Finest. That came out two days after Batman versus Superman. Yes. And Comica Girl drew a really cute cartoon highlighting that fact, actually. <laughs> oh, I forgot about because that. Because it had Batman versus Superman facing off and kind of glaring at each other. And then Kara and Barry were like, yeah, friends. <laughs> I think there were like articles about that where people were like, we're seeing these two heroes in these movies who are fighting for no reason. Um, but yeah. then we have this like shining light of Supergirl <laughs> where the two characters are like partners. Um, like, you need my help? Cool. <laughs> yeah, sure, I'll help. <laughs> which is, if you're a hero, that's kind of the point, which actually was one of maybe the only glimmers of this crossover having a point when Oliver and Barry were trying to point out that Deegan turning himself into Superman on the surface doesn't actually make him heroic in anybody's eyes. <laughs> and it was interesting that that was the kind of villain that we happened to see just because of what's been going on in the first act of Supergirl so far this season particularly with regard to what Lena's been up to and her feelings about humans and powers and the anti-alien stuff. Yeah, during this episode of questioning what makes a superhero, we had Deacon, this psychiatrist who wants to give powers to humans in much the same way that Lena wants to give powers to humans. Their motivations are not exactly aligned. But what's interesting in terms of connecting those two storylines is that we have in the, I think the first scene of the crossover, somebody called the Deacon character Frankenstein. Oh, yes, they did. It, when he's giving that lecture. Yes. As he's talking about exactly the same thing that Lena was going for, and they made those connections in that storyline to Frankenstein. So it's quite deliberate. It was. And it was really interesting because... I mentioned to you that there's a way to connect that to the references to Paradise Lost as well, mm -hmm. because within the story of Paradise Lost, Milton, the author, takes you as the reader on this journey of realizing that Lucifer is actually evil by gradually revealing it through different scenes with the same emotional conflicts, but making them more and more obviously bad. Mm-hmm. And so we've kind of now had this escalation from Lena framing what she's doing in one way. To give humans powers so that they won't feel as bad about not being as powerful as aliens. And then that will make them stop trying to kill aliens. To, in the very beginning of the crossover, this character who's very clearly a villain mm. advocating for eugenics yep. and giving humans superpowers because they deserve them, I guess. <laughs> well, he says that his patients feel inferior. Yeah. Which is the same kind of reasoning. It's the same problem that Lena's trying to say that people have. Mm -hmm. And so when you see it coming from a deranged guy with mad scientist hair in a dimly lit room where everybody around him is like, what the heck is wrong with you? You're awful. Mm -hmm. It suddenly becomes a whole lot less palatable than when it's said by a pretty girl in a nicely lit scene. Yes. Who has an endgame that seems positive. Yes, but the problem that Lena tends to run into is that she forges ahead with things without thinking through, as we've mentioned before, kind of <laughs> like the social consequences of them. Yeah. Because... She's not a person who grew up really having to care about social consequences of things too much. Mm -hmm. so. so it'll be fun to see how that storyline turns <laughs> as we go into the second act of the season. I was not expecting the Frankenstein um, connection, so I'm happy for no, it. No, that was nice. Yeah. 
Oh, and you also noticed something sort of Frankenstein-y. Oh, yeah. When Kara's in the holding cell in the beginning of the third episode, she tells Deegan to his face, you're a monster, which is, you know, the Frankenstein monster. And he goes, no, I'm Superman. Mm. Kind of like how Lena's trying to create a Superman, essentially. So uh, is that foreshadowing? <laughs> we just don't know. That'll be something to look uh, forward to. In a way. <laughs> in, in the literal sense, we're looking forward <laughs> Yeah, so I still have hope. <laughs> Vivi, I know you. You're such a Kara. You're you're a bit of an Alex. I am a little bit more of a realist. <laughs> hey. It's important that you're hopeful. Hope is important. <laughs> yes. I have some hope for next year, Crisis on Infinite Earths, that crossover, which I've kind of been wondering if they would do since we did the Crisis on Earth X plotline. And in the comics, Kara dies at the end of that, um, is like erased from existence or something. Which is not cool. <laughs> No. Although I do like the drama of it. You would. <laughs> and the sadness. So <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that they'd go for it and then fix it. I don't want anyone else to die. It would make sense for it to like plot twist it's Oliver, but I'd be kind of annoyed after this crossover where Kara didn't have that kind of focus if Oliver then in this future crossover took Kara's role in the story that was really pivotal in Supergirl comic history. Even though at the time it was not a good thing because it was them trying to erase the character out of existence. And look where we are now. <laughs> you failed. <laughs> this is why we must hope. Yes. So I hope that they, they do a version of it that's nice. <laughs> you just said hope again right after I did, which was really amusing. <laughs> and then in terms of Supergirl, the show is off for the next four weeks. They come back on January 20th. Mm -hmm. The next episode of Supergirl is called Suspicious Minds. You can find the promo that's out. And if you're like me, you will have Elvis Presley stuck in your head. <laughs> and if you'll remember, that was actually the name of the song that Marin sang during karaoke night yeah. last season. So, Which it would be interesting if there was some sort of mind reading element to play. Yeah. Ooh. Although the episode was originally called Secrets and Lies, so Kara's identity will likely come into play here. So we'll have to see how these elements mesh together. Yeah, so that's something exciting to look forward to. And then we will be back in two weeks with a new episode for you to keep busy if you're on a break from school during the holidays. So you can suggest topics or ask us questions on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Supergirl's Attic. Thanks for listening.